The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. To do it. So, I, you know, I had kind of a basic plan that I, you know, not you know, wouldn't think that any business person would be impressed by, but, um, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that I was just curious yeah. the whole but know, yeah, thought yeah. process, right? Because I, I was gonna, I, I committed selling to, your time really is what you're doing. Yeah. Right? I and, mean, I put a lot of thought into it before I, you know, stopped working for Merck and, you know, realized that I wasn't very happy doing it and, um, realized that I had to come up with some plan I was going to commit to, you know, that, that would be fulfilling and make use of my talents you know, in a way that, that could support my family. And so I, right. I jumped in, I, I committed to it. And that's, that's really the key, I think, because a lot of, you, you know, I, I you think can't that's, stand in the doorway of two feet on either side. It's just, yeah, that's work. right. I was, yeah, was yeah. going to do it no matter what. And worst came to worst, I'd get another job. Like, like I had at Merck. Right. Cause you weren't happy at Merck. So you were going to leave there regardless. You just kind of got lucky and fell into this because this was not a, I mean, were there other people doing this at the time? Like writing people's memoirs? Not really. A lot of the people I talked I mean, to for the me, president, right? But a lot of people I talked to, they say they've never heard they've, uh, of someone who's doing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, because it's not it's not really for commercial. I mean, I do do books that are for commercial purposes. Um, mostly, you know, I'm, I have a couple nonfiction book proposals I'm working on, which right. is what you do for commercial nonfiction books. You you do a proposal which yeah. has some sample chapters in it. So I'm doing that also. But um, you know, the but the life story memoirs. You know, they're for from families for the yeah. legacy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not going to, most people don't publish it. Right. Put it right. out. I mean, not public. Well, publishing is they printed it, but yeah, so they, commercially. Right. right. I mean, you know, some people, they, they want to put it on Amazon and they can. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Joining me on today's show is Richard Squires, the owner of Life Story Memoir, in which he writes people's memoirs in their own words, creating a legacy that families will cherish for generations. Richard is a writer, writing instructor, and family man who loves stories of all kinds. So I thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy my discussion with Richard. All right, Richard. So thanks for coming on the show. Um, admittedly so, we had some tech problems the first time we tried to do this, so I appreciate you uh, rescheduling. Um, and I'm excited to, you know, to hear your story, video uninterrupted. Um, but why don't you get into your background and how you got into writing, and then we'll talk all about your life, your life memoirs, right? Your story yes, well, memoirs. Yes. Well, it, it is my pleasure, Mitch, and thanks for having me back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this this time things seem to be smooth. So, yeah. um, right. How did I get into writing my memoirs? Well, I've always been creative. I've always been a storyteller. I was pretty obsessed with the movies when I was growing up, very much into reading. I was doing a lot of writing, writing my own stories and poetry through high school. So for undergrad, it, it was sort of a no-brainer to major in English literature and film. I did some film production. And um, and then out of college, I was I worked in the film industry for a year. Okay. 
Yeah. And uh, worked for Woody Allen on nice. one of his movies. Yeah. That was sort of my claim to fame there. Curse of the Jade Scorpion, one of his worst movies. That was the um, one you worked on? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, was in I don't location. think I've ever heard of that one. Um, Dan Aykroyd is in it. Um, is it a comedy? It's a comedy. Charlize Theron is in it. Oh, Elizabeth so that's, that is a fairly recent movie then. Helen Hunt is in it. Well, it was 2001, I think. Well, that's that's fairly recent. I'm thinking of all Woody stuff when I was in college and high school and you know Annie Hall and all that type of stuff. Manhattan. It's, it's not a black and white one. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you were on the set. Did they film that in New York? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And if I went up to Woody on the street, would he remember you? No. <laughs> Nor would he even talk to you. Right, right. That's true. Get yeah. this lunatic away from me. Oh, that's <laughs> right. pretty funny. That's pretty funny. He doesn't you talk could have been to Steven anyone. Spielberg, but you went a different route. I wanted what's that? You could have been Steven Spielberg, but you went yeah, a different yeah, yeah. route. I wanted a different route. Well, there was a writer's strike, is what happened. So oh. I was living in New York and and I had my apartment and it was, you know, fifteen hundred dollars a month. And all of a sudden there was no work because right. of the writer's strike. So yeah, and it wasn't like during pandemic, it wasn't like a pandemic and they shut the courts down. And you get rent relief, right? Right. That that wasn't happening. So, um, so I got into publishing. I worked for Scholastic, uh huh, sure, for, for about a year, and then I went for my first master's degree at Temple University, which was in uh, literature with a concentration in creative writing. I worked in marketing at a museum, the Newark Museum, which uh -huh. is a fantastic museum, has an American, uh, amazing American wing. Where is it located? Newark. It, it's north. It's north side of Newark, near. Um, uh, near the train station at the at the north. Yeah, near Gateway. Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah, think of like going exactly. to a museum in Newark. I don't know. Yeah. Like I never near, near, the, near the Newark Bears, the old Newark Bears. Oh, station. sure. Yeah, on the river there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's an amazing museum. Huh. Really. Okay. There's you learn something. Right, I recommend it. You know, anyone who's vacationing in Newark. Never yeah. heard of it. Well, if you're vacationing <laughs> in downtown Newark, you should definitely <laughs> yeah. go to the museum. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. So I, I did that. Uh, and then I got into corporate communications for some pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. uh, Merck and Pfizer, and um, probably, oh, I did some teaching. I was teaching uh, writing at the college level, Kane University, and, um, and then I went for a second master's degree. And it was during that time that my grandfather asked me if I would write his life story. And my grandfather uh -huh. is a World War II vet, was a World uh -huh. War II vet. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, he flew fighter planes in the Pacific. And he, when I grew up, he was telling me stories and, you know, they always totally fascinated me. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there was one story that really stood out, you know, everyone was telling stories in my family, but my grandfather was a good storyteller. And the one story, this story really stood out. So when he asked me if I would write his life story, this is immediately what I thought of is basically that he, uh, you know, and his uh, fellow soldiers, you know, of, of the uh, U.S. Army. Air Force would uh, they'd go out on these missions, and very often the enemy would launch these projectiles up into the air that would explode when they got to the right altitude. Um, so he was he was flying B seventeen fighter planes in the Pacific, and missiles basically. They were, yeah, I guess they were missiles. They were these okay. yeah projectiles. They, they would explode and and send out flak which were these right. metal shards. Shrapnel, right? right, yeah. Shrapnel, exactly. Yeah. And whatever the flak hit, it destroyed. Yeah. So they, you know, they're flying along hoping that's not going to happen. And and sometimes they went out on missions that were supposed to be non-combat missions. Right. But then but they, you, they, you they don't became know, right. Of course. Right. Um, so during one battle, the flak, it, it hit my grandfather's plane and it ripped off the floor of his plane and pieces went into his leg. Oof. And and they created these scars that years later I used to marvel at them and run my finger over them. They were like little like worms, you know, kind of on on his leg. Yeah, they hit him in a couple different areas of his leg. Yeah, uh, they also went into his co-pilot's head and they killed his co-pilot. And as I said, they ripped off the floor of his plane. So my grandfather had to bail out, and some of the other uh, you know guys in the plane had to bail out. So he he parachutes down uh, to save his own life, and. He lands in the ocean and he and other soldiers, they're surrounded by sharks. Of course. They're hoping the sharks like are a movie, come right? In. You hit the water and the sharks just show up. Yeah, exactly. In the Pacific, right. I mean, it's loaded with sharks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and I've read other stories about where this happens, you know, sharks surround them. And if there was a lot of blood, the sharks would come in. Right. Of course he's, he's injured and there's blood. Now. Of course. Yeah. 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 So it's nuts. So right? these, so were, these the, were missions over Japan, I guess. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had these, um, these, uh, blow up, um, like you know, life preservers. Yeah. Yeah. Life right. The life preservers like right. we have, right. Which were also radio devices. So they were called radio flotation devices. Right. They named them May West. Yeah. They sent out a signal, right. And then they can yeah. find them. Exactly. Exactly. But they, they yeah. called it May West, which, which is funny, you know, cause she was this beautiful curvy actress. They called what May West? The, the, the radio, fl- the flotation device. Really? I thought there was yeah. a plane called. Okay. That's crazy. Well, they, all the airplanes had different names. Yeah. They, all, they all named the airplanes. So the one airplane, um, there's a picture of it that I'm going to show you. Um, they called it the sad, the sad sack. This was his airplane go. or one of the airplanes. I got yeah. it. And how, yeah. So there weren't too many people on that plane, maybe four. Um, well, he told me that there were two different types of planes. One had two people in it and one had five people. in it. Okay. I think this is probably a two person airplane. Yeah. Right in the middle there. Well, you said there were other people in his plane. Oh no, that might not have been the plane that got the bottom. That might, got yeah. It. I don't think that was the plane. I think he was flying a five person plane. Got it. Okay. So they, so they bail out in the ocean. He's got metal in his leg. Uh, it's just wild. He's got he's got the flotation device, and finally he gets picked up. Right. Um, you know. We know. And, you know. We didn't get eaten because you're doing, you're writing his memoir. So. Yeah, and yeah, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> now it's interesting because it wasn't like your grandfather said, you know, I think I want to my, write my memoir. He had a grandson who was a writer. Yeah. And then he said, you know what, my grandson's a writer. Maybe he can write my story. Right. So I don't know if he would have really even thought of that if he didn't have you, right. As, as being a writer. Well, I think, I think not. My, my yeah. grandfather had seven grandsons and six of them are in sales and business of some kind. And one of them, me is a writer. Right. There you go. So that's, yeah. that's how it happened. Now, were you always right. a writer in high school? You were always on the paper or journalism, all that kind of stuff or. Oh, I was on the paper just, just a little bit. I, yeah. I, I had a film section for a stint, but uh, no, not so much, but I was, I was doing creative writing. Yeah, that's what my daughter did. Now she's a journalism major in Maryland, and I think she actually has a minor in creative writing. Nice. So she now she wants to go to medical school, but she said, "Well, listen, if I decide not to go to medical school, I want to have something to fall back on." So, you know, she's a good she's a good. I sent you her story, right? That story that she entered into a contest years ago. Can I email yes. that to you? Yes, you did. That's right. Yeah, yeah. but it takes now. a certain type yeah. of person, you being one of them, right? To write creatively, I mean, it's 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 a skill, and I, you know, look, I write contracts, and I've tried to write stories before articles. It's it's hard. Some people just have a have a mind for it, you know, to to write with is color the right word to you know to, to paint a picture with words. It's it's definitely not something you know. Everybody should write their book. They say it's not easy, especially if you're telling a story. It's it's very very difficult, and it's even more difficult when you're telling your own story. So, you know, I write my own, right. my own yeah. work and, you know, it's, it's fiction, but a lot of it is sort of autobiographical fiction, but yeah, it's, it's much more difficult because you're dealing with your own editor. When I'm writing someone else's story, it's, it's a lot easier and, and faster. It is a lot easier. Yeah. And I, it's, I have much more objective right. eyes, yeah. you know? Yeah. You don't run into writer's block and stuff. They're giving you all the material, right? So yeah. it's interesting because I think that, um, you know, a lot of people take it for granted that they could just write a book and, you know, it, you want to have a quality result and you need the skills to do it. Now you, did you always felt that it came easy to you when it comes to like creative writing or. Yeah. um, At at first, I I, I suppose I was sort of driven by my imagination. Like I would come up with, you know, I'd have thoughts, I'd have ideas and and it would, I'd feel this amazing uh, kind of rush. Yeah. From, from the ideas. And, you know, get it, getting them out into the page, you know, was, was the labor. Um, yeah. But, but at, as you become a better writer, it can become harder. Uh, harder? In, terms of, in terms of writing my own stuff, because the editor in you becomes more, uh, uh, say, critical, critical. Or, yeah. or fine-tuned. Um, but, you know, in terms of writing my, my client's memoirs, it's, it's become easier. I've, I've become oh, yeah. faster. It, it also helps. It, it informs the interviewing you know, the types of questions that I ask and the type of types of information that I know will make for good reading. Right. You know, well, that's, so, you know, yeah, it's like I'm interviewing writing. for a podcast, right? I know what's going to make a good podcast and pull it out of you. That's my job, right? Your job is to pull it out of them and to turn it into something that's 
not only memorable for their family, but interesting. And uh, what's the word? Not riveting, but compelling yeah, like to engaging. read, right? Engaging. engaging. That's the word. Yeah, exactly. Right? Engaging. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm creative. I can think of all kinds of ideas. Getting it on paper. Forget it. It's a whole nother thing. Huge yeah. disconnect. Yeah. I mean, it remains. It's it's just abstract when it's in your mind. Yeah. 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 And then you're trying to think of things, and you're writing down, and you're thinking other things, and. It's, it's just very difficult. Look, that's why when I'm working on a project or something, I have to write things down and get them down because if not, they're fleeting. I'm like, what was that, that going to do for that? You know? Yeah. 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 And it's hard to keep up because the mind can go a lot faster than, than you can write it or, or type it or, you know, and you don't think necessarily in that order. It's, it's a lot. Writing is juggling. You know, you're juggling a lot of balls. You know, you're, you're filling the, the reader in on the plot and the character, but um, you're, you're also thinking trying ahead, to, right? You're trying to, leave you're the thinking story ahead, but, but you're also trying to fill the, um, the scenery, you know, with yeah. things that, that the reader can actually see and, and hear and smell because that, that's what makes engaging writing is, is the sensory details. Right. You don't want to just say, well, he went up in the plane, the plane blew up and he jumped and the sharks survived and that's it. You want to right. see what right. it's like and feel what it's like to be in the ocean with sharks ready to eat you alive. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to know what the cockpit looks like. Yeah, you know? exactly. And That's what I was like. thinking and when you and said there was other people, I'm thinking, well, what wasn't it a, like a two person plane? Where were these other people sitting? You know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. You, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of my clients started writing their own material. Oh, they you know, did. Like they tried my, yeah. to kind of get it down and they're like, what the, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you and do a lot of interviews. You record a lot of interviews, right? And then you transcribe them so you have the so you capture the material. That's right. Yeah. That way, I can be really focused when I'm talking with someone. I'm not taking notes. I, I'm taking right. little notes. You know, if I have a thought, I want to come back to. Right. But um. But yeah, I'm recording it. I capture it all. I do the transcription. Uh, I make sure it's completely accurate. You know, I have to. I have to kind of go back through and and you know, make sure that the technology I'm using to do the transcription captures everything accurately, which it doesn't do. So I have to go back through and review yeah, it. And to it. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, and then I work with my client's words, you know, it's a lot. So, you know, it's a lot of reorganization. It's a lot of editing. It, it, it takes time, but, um, but as much as possible, it's their words. I sometimes I'm rephrasing from their point of view, right. It's written in the first, in their first person, That's right. isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And it says, and, and it's sort of, it's by them, you know, but I'm, I'm doing all the editing. It's a lot, a lot of reorganization. Um, removing redundancy, people repeat themselves, people go out of order. Right, right. Sometimes yeah, they're all over the place, right? You got to kind of weave the story. They must be jumping all over the place all the time. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but as, as I've gotten better as an interviewer, I, I'm better at sort of keep them on track. keeping things in order. Yeah. Keep yeah. Them on track. So, so this, you know, this is an interesting business and this is a business podcast, right? So I told you, we talk about that stuff. So here you were, you write, you write, you're helping your grandfather write his memoir you don't have a business at this point, right? It's not something you do for a living. Uh, you were working at, where were you working at the time? I was working at Merck. Oh, oh doing their copywriting and PR and public. Well, it, it, it's internal communications. Oh, internal communications, so, right. To their employees and things like that. Yeah, I was interviewing employees about the projects that they were working on, their successes. And that way the right hand knows what the left hand's doing because a lot of right. people, I, I was actually in IT. It was, not that I know much about IT, but I was doing the communications right. for the IT department, which is huge and around, you know, all around the world. Did you find um, it and interesting way, or was it like, ah, it's a job, you know? Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was a corporate atmosphere dealing with a lot of different people, some of whom were very lovely to deal with and some of whom weren't. And, uh, you know, it wasn't fulfilling my soul. <laughs> well, obviously not. Right. So, because yeah. th there's no creativity in, in what, not that much. What it's a, it was a little bit of creativity because I, you know, I'm collecting all these puzzle pieces. I mean, you, it has some things in common with with really any kind of writing or interviewing. I'm collecting the puzzle pieces, and then I have to put together the puzzle. Right, and that's how it right. is when I interview my clients. They're giving me all this stuff, and you got to put it together the best way yeah, so that there yeah. seems to be a logical flow to it. Um, and that's what I was doing with the people I was interviewing at Merck and at Pfizer. Also, they were telling me their stories sometimes, you know. But it, some of it was hard to understand. And related right, to I'm sure this is technology, but, but you're, yeah. you're like an internal reporter, right? So you write in the newsletter and you have to interview them and come up with the articles. Yeah. So now let's, let's get back to your grandfather. So at the time you didn't have a business, you'd never done this before, right? You probably weren't Were did you, rec I mean, was there even transcription services besides like stuff you could send out? It certainly wasn't online. What was there online? Probably less, right? Less, less, yeah. but you know, it wasn't all that long ago. It was probably in 2015. Oh, okay, fine. So yeah. 
but but what was the whole process? You're like, I don't know how to do this. So did you just start interviewing him, recording stuff, writing stuff down? I mean, now you've done a lot of books, right? So you have yeah. a methodology that you use. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. So take me through, like, what happened? How did that happen? I want to hear. Well, I mean, and you're like, I could do this for a living. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, with, with all the aspects of what I was doing, I had to learn the hard way. Um, yeah. I was using Dragon Software. Where That's I would the one where you talk, right? You wear the headset yeah. and you talk into it, right? Exactly. So I'm listening and I'm talking. Right. Um, and it was a lot of work. That's hard yeah. to do. I've tried that before. It's difficult. It's almost like another language. You have to learn how to talk to the computer so it types for you. Yeah. At the same time, you're you're listening and then speaking. So it's like you can hear your own voice while you're listening to something and you're you're repeating exactly what you're hearing. It's it's, it's sort of like doing two fairly complicated things at, at one time. But I don't do that anymore. You know, I, I've learned a better way to do it. Yeah. Um, so, right. I, so I did this for my grandfather. I interviewed him while I was working and I was also getting my master's degree. I did. I did it. Um, Must have taken a while with all the things you had going on. You had your job. You're getting your master's degree. It, it took a while. And then yeah. I was, you know, at once I um, had it all down on paper, I edited it. I had my document and then I had to format it into a book. So the technology I was using is not what I use anymore either. It was right, you know, much, much older and, and just going, going through it the hard way. Um, but I, you know, worked with his pictures. I scanned the pictures. I gave them the professional treatment, cropped them, gave them some effects and, you know, laid them out appropriately with the, with the words. And I, I created a cover and then I found a printer and we printed 50 copies and I gave them out to everyone in the family. And everyone was like, wow, cool. You know, and, and it printed just as my grandfather was passing away, he had a stroke oh. and I, and everything was finished. And I had just like sent the file in and it was in the process of being printed while my grandfather was in the hospital. I went in there and I told him it, we finished it. It's being printed. And he was very happy. He was very pleased. He couldn't talk, but it, it was, it was an amazing moment that I'll never forget. Yeah, Cause you know, if you just, had, if your timing was different, you might not have been able to do it yeah. or complete it. I mean, that's the whole I mean, key to this, right? Capturing your memoir when you can. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it would have been more ideal if, uh, you know, I would have been able to put it in his hands, but right. Right. You know, it was just a a wonderful moment. And, and then I did my wife's great uncle. I did his book. Okay. Because he saw your grandfather's and said, Hey, will you do this for me or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also he was in the war too. He fought under Patton and he had, he had some great stories. I mean, amazing stories. Um, Patton was in the Pacific too. No, no. Patton was in Europe. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. And so he saw the concentration camps, my wife's great uncle. Yeah. Um, and he some interesting stories. Uh, you know, Patton was Patton loved war. He was a warmonger. Yeah. And they, they did something where I guess it was after the war. Maybe, or, or it was either near the near the end of the war. Um, they were coming through some village in Germany mm-hmm. and some citizen took a little a little shot at one of the tanks and it dinged off the tank. So, so he said, Patton, they, they brought the tanks back to the top of the hill and they leveled the town. Because of that one guy who shot at the tank? Yeah. And then after that, whatever town they'd come through, the Burgermeister, which is the mayor, they'd come out, would come out and meet the army and say, hey, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. Right. We're not don't flatten our town. Right. Don't flatten our town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it worked. Yeah, it worked. They weren't going to shoot again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Patton loved war. So, yeah, that was really interesting. So I did that. And then I started presenting and, and talking about what I was doing at, at uh, assisted living homes and, you know, residences like that. And right. I was able to start putting together some fantastic projects. And, and then still I, a side I, gig, though, at this point, right? I mean, you still kept your job. You weren't like. Well, it was around that time that I, I like, left my job. Pack it in. I'm packing it in. Okay. Yeah. yeah so did you. Like sit, you're an, you're a writer, so you probably didn't do this, right? Well, your brothers would do this. Did you sit down and put together a plan and say, well, okay, if I'm going to do this, how many do I need to do? You knew roughly, well, I don't know if your grandfather, the first one was probably a bad example of how long it would ultimately take, right? Because you've gotten better at it. But did you sit down and say, okay, this is how many I need to do. So this is what I can charge. I guess you really didn't know like what people would pay for it, right? So you, that's something you learned also. How did you yeah. do that kind of? strategic, like, how do I move to the stage of my life type of planning? I'm always curious. Yeah. Now, some people are just like, I didn't, I just winged it and I'm lucky I'm here, but I don't know. I, don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little bit like that. I mean, it, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to remember now, 
Um, I, you know, I, I did write out some kind of plan, but I, I didn't think it was like a very good business plan. I mean, I'm not uh, really a businessman. I did have my own other, I have another business where I, my wife and I were tutors, but, um, okay. you know, she tutors math. She's a math teacher. I'm not yeah, my wife tutors math too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And but, I, you know, I it's hard to make a living. I mean, there's so many kids you can see it one time and your it's, head right. eyeballs are hanging out of your head at night. He's she's tutoring like three to 10 at night. I'm sliding food under the door because these kids all need help, you know, yeah. especially with the pandemic, it's gotten difficult. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, what she get $80 an hour, uh, you know, take five, five hours for her to make what I make in an hour. So, but it, it's difficult, <laughs> but yeah. So if you have that cash, well, I guess that helps. But I mean, at some yeah. point you had to say, well, can I make a living doing this? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And my pricing was all different. I had to figure out what my pricing was. And as I got better at it and I became more confident in my work and, um, you know, had more to show for it, my pricing went up and, right. you know, my pricing is at a pretty good place now where I feel that, it, I mean, it's amazing value The, you know, you, you're not going to find better value for someone to write your memoir than what I offer. Because if you look up what ghostwriters are charging, it's, it's a lot, but I yeah. came up, you know, I have my own methodology and I can move at a pace. And I feel really good about where I am. So I've just grown, you know, and, and I'm still growing, you know, yeah. and you have, you have to kind of go through the fire to do it. So I, you know, I had kind of a basic plan that I, you know, not, you know, wouldn't think that any business person would be impressed by, but um, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I was just curious yeah. the whole but know, yeah, thought yeah. process, right? Because I, I was going to, I, I committed selling to your time really is what you're doing. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, know. I put a lot of thought into it before I, you know, stopped working for Merck and, you know, realized that I wasn't very happy doing it and um, realized that I had to come up with some plan I was going to commit to, you know, that, that would be fulfilling and make use of my talents, you know, in a way that, that could support my family. And so I, right. I jumped in, I, I committed to it. And that's, that's really the key, I think, because a lot of, you, you know, I, I you think can't that's, stand in the doorway of two feet in either side. It's just, yeah, that's work. right. I was, yeah, was going to do it no matter what. And worst came to worst, I'd get another job like, like I had at Merck. Right. Because you weren't happy at Merck. So you were going to leave there regardless. You just kind of got lucky and fell into this because this was not a I mean, were there other people doing this at the time, like writing people's memoirs? Not really. A lot of the people I talked I mean, to for the president. That, right. But a lot of people I talked to, they say they've never heard they've, uh, of someone who's doing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not it's not really for commercial. I mean, I do do books that are for commercial purposes. Um, mostly, you know, I'm, I have a couple nonfiction book proposals I'm working on, which right. is what you do for commercial nonfiction books. You, you do a proposal, which yeah. has some sample chapters in it. So I'm doing that also, but, um, you know, the, but the life story memoirs, you know, it's they're for families for the, family. the yeah. legacy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not going to, most people don't publish it. Right. Put it right. out. I mean, not public. Well, publishing is they printed it, but yeah, they, commercially. Right. right. I mean, you know, some people, they, they want to put it on Amazon and they can, you know, okay. self-publishing is a whole thing. It's, you know, different than it used to be. You can self-publishing is a major industry and people can put it on Amazon. Yeah, and, right. So, if you tell all and, your friends and they buy enough, you'd be like a bestseller for a day. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, a hundred books advance sales and you're a bestseller. Right. Is that what it is? is? Within reason. I, I think so. It's a hundred, some sort of a number, then you're a bestseller. And you could say I'm a, my memoir was bestseller, yeah. bestselling book. Yeah. But yeah. I, I always say, you know, your memoir is a bestseller within your family. Everyone buys it. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> now, you this is tr true ghostwriting, right? It doesn't say on the I mean, it might say who provided the book, but it doesn't have it's not by you. No, it's by them. It's by right. the client. On the back of the book, I say with me. Right. And as to how they well, you want a little bit of promotion, right? It says how the, yeah. how somebody says, how'd you do this? Oh, well. Look at the back. Yeah, I have my logo on there and my contact information. Yeah. But right. you, but it's not quite ghostwriting. You know, because ghostwriting is where you're kind of like, it's a little more commercial style. You know, the whole tone of, of a commercially written book when you read it, it's a little bit different than these life story memoirs because, it, you know, it's a different kind of editing. And it, sort of the writing comes from, is from scratch. So, uh -huh. so it's like, you know, a presidential book, you're going to interview the guy for, you know, a long time and take a lot of notes and you're going to kind of write it from scratch, create the prose from scratch. Right. But mine, mine is a happy balance between, uh, you know, using my client's words as much as possible and editing it as much as needed to make it into an engaging read. So that when you read it, it reads nicely, but it's there. It's the client's essence. It's, it's So the relatives, the family who are reading it, they're like, oh, yeah, that's grandma's voice. Like, that's totally grandma. Those are the stories she always told. Oh, really? Plus, I'm sure that makes you feel good, though, when you hear that. Oh, yeah. Like you got it right. I got it. Yeah. 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 That That's the name of the game. And each is its own piece of art, you know, and each person has their own 
personality, their own unique flavor and style and essence. And when I, and I really get to know them when we talk, we become buddies. I mean, that, that's I'm my sure. favorite part. You spend know? how many, what, 20 hours or so with them or I don't know. Usually not 20 hours. I mean, I have one client, I interviewed him for 24 hours, but the average is more like eight hours. Okay. Still, you and I spent eight hours together. We know each other pretty well. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're good at it. I mean, you have a skill. Yeah. 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 So now is the, is the way you write the book, is there a certain structure to the book that you kind of follow. Like when I do a podcast, for example, and the reason I did this is, is there's a commercial reason. There's a business reason for doing this, right? I have a structure for the, at least the audio portion, the way I structure and commercials and things like that. And I follow the same formula every time because it's a labor intensive to try and make it up every single time and figure it out. So I know where everything goes and I throw them in and slide them over and fade them in and out. Boom, I'm done. You know, 40 minutes, including all the publicity, I'm finished. Is that the same kind of a process? Like you have a, a skeletal structure that you're using and you're plugging everything in, or is it harder to do that because you don't know really what their story is going to look like? Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets, and be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health, care for the planet, and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. I would say there, there's sort of a a high level organization, which is okay. chronological for the most part. And within that, it, it's a little more, you know, kind of go with the flow. Like I, I definitely follow breadcrumbs, but then I bring it back. So people will go off on tangents and, that, and, and that's fine. And that's good because that's where a lot of the good material is generated. I mean, you, you right. want stories, you know, things connect in, in strange ways. I mean, someone might be talking about getting into their career and then talk, and then suddenly they go into, something related to their career that's 30 years later, you know, where they're talking about their family and somehow their career comes up. Um, And uh, when I'm editing, uh, probably the, you know, the hardest part of it is figuring out the right order of information. Right. Um, Because things connect in all these. Yeah. Cause that's where our mind works. We can't read things like the way our mind works. It's too confusing. Right. Right. Yeah. But um, you know, my, my process has made it, has made it easier. So I, I basically, you know, I get to know the client a little bit before we begin because I do sort of the consultation and I have to collect enough information to be able to put together the proposal and estimate how many hours I'm going to be interviewing them for and therefore okay. what the cost is going to be. You give them a flat and, fee based on what your research or is it an hourly type of thing? Um, well, it's based on the amount of interview hours that you but think I estimate, you're going to do. Yeah. And I, and I estimate how many hours I think are required. So based on an initial conversation, I get an idea of the scope of the story. And the scopes are always different. Not everyone, some people are talking about the entire their entire lives. 
you know, they're talking about their childhood, their earliest memories coming all the way up to the present. And some even go further back than that, because we get into genealogy, talk about whatever they know about their family before they were alive. And uh-huh. I also have some genealogists that I work with where if they want, we'll get more stuff. Okay. Um, I have a client where we found uh, all this interesting information about their family going back to like the 1600s, you know, got addresses. Birth so it becomes a little bit of history of the family plus his memoir. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and, you know, you know yeah. occupations, uh, where they lived, addresses, uh, all, all of that, how they moved. You know, I mean, this guy the, who I'm talking about, he grew up in Prague. Uh, he's a Holocaust survivor from Prague. And his family, his mother's family came from out in the countryside, like on the east of uh, Czechoslovakia, where they had mm-hmm. been Austro-Hungarian Empire. So right. they very much identify that, you know, they spoke German. They identify with the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And, you know, people who grew up in empires have a lot of pride. Um, you know, related to that. Whereas his dad's yeah. family, we grew up in the city, came from the city. Um, so growing up in their, uh, so in his home, they were bilingual. They spoke German and Czech, which is interesting. Um, you know, really interesting. And it, we were able to incorporate all the manifests. His dad had before World War II was a businessman. He made trips over to the U.S. and and England, and we had marriage certificates, death certificates, um, all of that addresses. Um, but other people, they, they don't want to talk about, you know, such a wide scope. Like I, I have one book I did for a couple who they spent 15 years in the foreign service. Okay. He, you know, the, the man worked in the, in the foreign service for 15 years. They lived in five different amazing locations around the world during that time. Uh, one of the locations they were in Tripoli, Libya in 1969 during the coup when Gaddafi took over Wow. and they saw it, they were driving out on a highway. They were going out to the desert to have a picnic that day in their VW van and a whole military caravan passed them on the way into the city. Didn't they even stop was, them. They didn't care. No, they were coming in right. to the city and, and they were like, that that's weird. Yeah. So, so they decided to turn around and cancel the picnic and come back to the city in the middle of the night. They hear gunshots. The next morning, it's a whole new regime. They're right. changing the street signs from English to, I guess, Arabic. Yeah. And there's, there's soldiers on every corner. And, and it was frightening. I'm sure. And it was, but it was 1969. So it kind of fed into like the revolutionary spirit of the time. So there were some people, even American uh, colleagues of my clients who he worked with, who were kind of excited about it. Um, and then they were kind of young, you know, they were in their thirties. Yeah. Uh, interesting, interesting to capture that, that feeling. Yeah. Um, so the scope can really vary and I can, uh, I'm very good now at estimating how many hours are needed to create the, the book that my client has in mind, Envisions. Yeah. Uh, so, so, but we can, you know, we can add on and, and we, and we can subtract depending on my client's budget. Right. Now you have that discussion with the client, you explore that. Exactly. With, exactly. That and when I put the proposal together, I come in with an outline and with, you know, it's a loose high level outline of how much time we're going to spend on each topic. And it generally goes in chronological order, you know, childhood, adolescence. Right. Well, career, the thought, person love, reading family. the book can kind of digest it. Yeah. Without yeah. getting too confused. Yeah. I mean, so, sometimes it might be organized a different way. In the end, it might, it might be, I might organize it thematically, but I, I kind of have to have those puzzle pieces um, to to really know how how it, the puzzle, how I'm going to put the puzzle together. Into right. The so chronologically, period. you have it laid out, but it might ultimately end up different. Yeah. Depending on what looks good. Now, is there audio and visual uh, video components to this? Like, does somebody get an accompanying, if they want, do they get accompanying video or an audio book? Uh, you know, I don't know who would do the audio book. You got to get the person to do the audio book before they pass away or something. So I, I do, I offer some, some additional services, including a DVD. So for one client, um, well, I've done it for a couple of clients. Would it be like a movie you interview them or it'd be like a slideshow with the book? Well, they, uh, I have a videographer come and video the interviews, not okay. usually. Not all of the interviews, usually one or two sessions. And then they they edit it. It's, it's the interviews. We include old photos. Uh-huh. We include old home movies if they have it. And in fact, this the, the guy from Prague, his father used to take movies, you know, 16 millimeter movies back in the 1930s, wow. which we have, which we oh, incorporate. Wow. Wow, so my client, he's 90 years old. We got yeah. these movies of him as a, a four-year-old. They're reels? Yeah, right? they're real, but they yeah. were digitized. Oh, he had them digitized already. Okay. You got to get them digitized. Yeah. Or yeah. Like a little just, in in right. fact, right. I got them digitized. I'm remembering now. They oh, were real. They were, they were big reels like yeah. this. Yeah. Right. 
So I, I took them, I brought them to the store, I got them digitized. And then my videographer incorporated, you know, some of it where it made sense and we can put in music and it's a fantastic, amazing thing. We also included animation. So my client, he, he envisioned, uh, you know, in Indiana Jones, when Indiana Jones travels from one part of the world to the other, it shows the airplane going across yeah, the map yeah. the line. Right. So we, we did that. Yeah. 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 So you did that? Like when it was going from one place to another? Yes. Yeah. So we, like so we have that in the movie. It's, it's great. And, and these days, I mean, these videographers, they have all types of animation that you can do. You can take a still right. photo and, and make it look 3D with, with shadows behind it. Um, th- things like that. So, so yeah, I offer that as a supplement to the book. Right. I also, yeah, yeah. also the, the audio interviews, I, I can edit those and um, create them, uh, you know, make them into chapters for like segments, like five to 12 minute segments. And then I can right. provide that. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like, you're making them a podcast of the book. Yeah. And podcast stands for play on demand, right? So you're taking the clips and you're, making kind of a show out of it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, in addition to having the book, you can listen to your loved one's voice after they're gone. Right. Well, you know, it's yeah, a beautiful thing. A lot of value. Yeah, so, I get people that they, they die. They don't want to give me the original will from their husband or wife because they're like, it's the only copy I have. I'm like, yeah, but you have to file the original with the surrogate's office in the County. You can keep a copy but you're not getting back the original that goes on file in the surrogate's office. That was the purpose of the will. And they're like, you know, holding on to it. They don't want to give it to me. You know? It would be nicer if they had, say, a book or, you know, the story. Or, yeah, or, correct. The, the voice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe when, you know, I'm doing their wills, I should give them your card and say, hey, do you ever think about this to preserve uh, yeah. your legacy? Uh, that, uh, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if I could remember everything that happened that's happened in my life. What I would say, I mean, I don't know. During our lifetime, it wasn't like we went to war. Like we, we just didn't grow up with that. It was a different time, but I guess you if know, you sit and talk long enough, you start to think of things, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, not everyone's story would make like a blockbuster film, you know, right. some people's stories would, and I've worked with a lot of Holocaust survivors, very, you know, interesting, but you know, I have clients whose, whose lives are more, you know, say normal, but they're, but they're unique Yeah, and they're beautiful. I mean, just the story of like falling in love, you know, and you know, or becoming a parent, you know, yeah. is, is unique to each person, just the way, the way that it happened the way that it, you know, what it meant to them. Yeah. Um, but what, 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 one of the things I love is that when I'm interviewing someone, um, you know, they know a lot of the things they're going to say in advance. And, and it's a lot of the stories they, they always tell, but I, you know, I ask a lot of questions I make a lot of connections and they always think of things they haven't thought about in years. Right. You know, they, they are experiencing memories. That right. They have well, that's what happens about. with your mind, right? Once you get yeah. going. Yes. Stuff you get in a role popping out. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that has a long comment actually with just creative writing It is like, it's the act of creation is happening in the moment. Yeah. Well, that's you your know, job, it, right? I mean, your job is to get them flowing, so to speak. Yes. It's not a computer where you just put in a search term and you get something out. So the right. skill is getting it out of your head. Yeah. 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 I mean, you look at books like, um, like Harry Potter, the Harry Potter series, right? Very detailed, very colorful, but you know, we could all think of things like that, like magical worlds and stuff, but to get it down on paper and to make it all fit together. Right. It obviously takes a certain kind of person or a certain kind of skill to do it because. Right. I but I, I guarantee you, you know, she didn't have it all figured out before she sat down to write. She it, no, I'm sure it invented the process, itself right? through yeah. the writing. You know, she had something in her mind, a place to start, but yeah. it invents itself while you're writing. Cause you gain momentum. You're like a snowball rolling downhill. Right. Well, I guess you're always going back and forth to make sure things fit, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But you yeah. know, not so much. You ever get? You ever have stories that like something doesn't make sense? It's not consistent. You got to ask them. Are you sure about that? This doesn't match up with this, and people get confused. Yeah, that happens. Yes, and and you know, a lot of my clients are elderly and they have cognitive, um, you know, impairment, which is nor- normal. Just you know, getting older, and and I have clients also who have dementia. You know, and um, they're hard to interview. They can be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can, you know, can get to the point where it's lucid moments, right? Where they can. Well, I mean, there's so many different uh, levels of it. You, you know, um, normally if I'm interviewing someone who has dementia, they're in the early stages and we're trying to well, do uh, it. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, it's common to say, think one thing and something else comes out of your mouth or to, 
um, be confused about the chronology of, of events or yeah. not remember when something took place or, you know, have to, you know, get back to me on it. Uh, very often I, um, when I'm working on someone's book, I, I have a document of questions that I'm coming up with so I can come back to them later on um, and, and ask them some questions and fill in the blanks. Do you interview but, other family members, especially if the person has early onset dementia? Yeah. You do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's so many different scenarios that I've had. I have one, sometimes the family members just want to participate. So I interviewed this amazing doctor who had been for his service. He was a doctor at Leavenworth penitentiary back in the fifties. Wow. And he, befri- okay. he befriended machine gun Kelly. Oh, okay. That's a cool story. Yeah. He said he was a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Except for all the shooting and the murdering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually he didn't murder anyone. Like it, it's amazing. No, he wasn't, he wasn't the guy. This this whole kind of legend built up around him. The the media made a, a huge deal of him, and they were you know made movies of him, but it wasn't all accurate. And uh, James Taylor actually has a song called Machine Gun Kelly, which corroborates the story that that my client told me. Is that uh, Machine Gun Kelly was kind of a simple guy, and it was his wife who was the ambitious one. Okay. But uh, so this guy's really interesting, and and he wanted me to interview his children after, so his three children. So. I interviewed them and they're like tributes to, to their father, which I put on as, as appendices, as an appendix. Okay. Um, but I have another book that I did where everyone wanted to participate. I interviewed 24 people. Wow. Yeah. All from the same family, different. Different generations. generations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's what's great. It was just great because a lot of people told the same stories, but they all told them their own way. But it and was still people, a book about one person, right? It was, it was all about one person. Yes. The grandfather, whatever, the patriarch. Yeah, yeah exactly. Patriarch. And this guy's I mean, he's the patriarch. And boy, was he a patriarch. He was just a, he was buddies with Frank Sinatra. I mean, this, this was a big head honcho guy, yeah. you know, super successful guy um, who had 350 shoe stores. And, um, and it was great. And, and I loved how, you know, these stories become legend in a family. They become lore, you know, so people are telling the same stories, but they're telling them from their own points of view. And they change a little bit when you write it down, it locks it in, right? Exactly. But you get different details from different people and it starts to really fill it out and make it like more three-dimensional. And and then, and then that had a big um, effect on how the book was organized, you know, because so for like, you know, the doctor's book where the children, the children, it was just organized by, you know, the first child, the second child, the third child. But with this other guy's book, it was organized by story. Okay. You know, and it was set up almost like a play with dialogue. You know, this person says this, you know, and and it becomes like a conversation. Got it. Yeah. Well, that's the art of the whole thing, right? Yeah. You can do it different ways. Ever, ever discover. And I see from behind you, you've you've interviewed men, you've interviewed women. um, Ever, you know, interview somebody and, and they're like, listen, I've never told anybody this, but I did this bad thing. And maybe, you know, it's so long ago that nothing, it's not criminal anymore, but. You ever discover things like that? You're like, yeah, uh, you know, like yeah. Meyer Lansky. I just saw that movie called Lansky and the it was about him being older and then meeting with his journalist. The journalist is writing his story. Right. Which I guess is true. He must have wrote the story. And uh, it went back and forth in terms of time telling his story. But he's like, listen, you can't publish this until after I die. He did die <laughs> like right after the book was ready. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you ever get any of those? That you can remember? Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't I mean, have to kill you if you reveal, revealed it? I mean, you know, a couple of things. Uh, I have one client whose father was, he wasn't in the mafia, but he was involved with the mafia. Uh, he was, had a time where he was selling some drugs, you know, yeah. that had belonged to the mafia and he got caught. And they were, you know, he became part of this, you know, very large um, case against this, you know, ma- this Don. Right. And he had to go in there and he had to like figure out a way or something. He had to testify. And I have the transcript that his son provided me. And it, it, it's it really interesting and revealing about this guy's, um, you know, my client's father's personality. He was he was a smart guy and he was he was wise. He was like a wise guy a little bit. Right. And he, he had to figure out a way to, you know, answer the questions so that he would stay out of jail, yet not incriminate the uh, the mafioso, you know, and right. be in trouble with him. Yeah. And, so you don't have, and, end up dead. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he was able to do that. Um, I, I just recently I finished this memoir. This is Estelle. She is, you know, just an amazing lady. 
okay. amazing family woman and became very successful with her husband. They started their own jewelry business. But okay. she told me the story that she'd never told anyone where when she was young, she was growing up in Brooklyn during the depression. Um, she had heard that cats always land on their feet. Yeah, so she so she grabbed her grandparents' cat. Threw it out the window. They lived on the second floor. She threw it out the window and she didn't even watch. To, like she was standing back. She couldn't see if the cat landed or not. And then she started to feel a little bit bad about it. And then the cat was at the door downstairs. <laughs> right, because it did it. land on its feet. Yeah. Well, it's because so she didn't live that. on the ninth floor because landing on its feet might have still killed the cat. Yeah, even if it lived. It, yeah. Right, it might not have mess. made it back to the door. So is that in the book? Yeah, that's in the book. And I don't <laughs> think she told anyone that. But she, you that's know, she funny. talked about, she was very confident. And she was maybe a little bit mean, but she became a very nice person. And she, you know, it was kind of like very, you know, she was really outgoing and it was kind of central to like who she is and her personality. And, you know, it was really fit. Yeah. My grandma yeah. was like that. She was the meanest woman you ever met until she got older. She's just tired, I guess. She didn't. Uh, <laughs> but my wife's like, oh, grandma's so sweet. And my dad would be like, well, you didn't know her when she was young in her prime. Right. You know, I don't know where that all comes from. I hear, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Metal Jewish, but, you know, right. I don't know. Right. But, um, you, you know, people also tell me they tell me things and then they say, don't put that in the book or or they tell me things that come out in a, in a you know, a very kind of dark, rough way. And and I, I'm able to edit it. So, it's dip, you know, so that it's said diplomatically. Right. So it doesn't offend people or give them a bad impression of the person yeah. or. Right. You know, like, you know, right. maybe you don't tell them they put an ice pick in his back of his head. They just had a disagreement. It was, yeah. They don't know what happened then. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, exactly. yeah, people, yeah. Yeah. Th- you know, family secrets come out. Yeah. So any interesting, um, you know, people that you've interviewed in terms of like, let's put the, the veterans aside because it's probably a lot of those, right? Holocaust survivors is probably a lot of those and probably running out because I don't think there's a lot that are still alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Says yeah. years ago. I mean, on. the one, the ones that I meet now, um, they were very young during the Holocaust. I was just speaking to a Holocaust survivor yesterday. She's 81. So she was, she was, um, in hiding from two and a half to five. She was in, from Holland. She was with yeah, that's 16 different Frank was, right? Yeah. 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 So Holland, they're hiding. So, yeah. so two and a half, to, so two and a half, half of her life when she was yeah. little was yeah. hiding. Yeah. And so most, most of her story really is what, well, you know, the, the aftermath. Um, yeah. she, she was with 16 different families and, when she finally reunited with her family, she kind of expected at any minute to be moving on to the next family. Right. Cause that's what happened. She had been conditioned. Yeah, exactly. And um, she was very, you know, adaptable to whoever she was with, but they, they weren't parenting her. They were just taking care of her. So now she's back with her parents and they're trying to parent her and teach her things and tell her to do things. And she's like, who are you? Why are you telling me this stuff? I don't need to listen to you. Right. So, so she, her whole life, she never really had a good connection with her family. Yeah. And that's because yeah. of the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a friend who's 90, I think Peter's like 95. Um, and his wife too. They're both Holocaust survivors and he's getting up there. Peter Fleischman. Yeah. You know, Peter. Yeah. Have, have you written his book? No, no, no. but I, I spoke to him. I, I actually, you know, talking about getting started in my business, I met with him because he was volunteering for score. Yeah, he's still, I speak for SCORE because of him. He, I'm speaking in February. He's always like, Mitch, will you do a business thing for us for SCORE? I'm like, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that's how I know him. And he saw my business plan. And that, right. that was, you know, early early in uh, the story of life story. And and then I heard him speak about his experiences um, over a Zoom meeting one time for a synagogue. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. speaks a lot about Holocaust, his survivals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, never wrote his book, huh? Moment I can't. No, I, I would I would love to write his book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tell him, well, tell him. Okay. Remind no, him. Uh, I will. I, I'm I gotta see him uh, next week or so. So I'll remind yeah. him about it. Um, okay, so let's talk about how people can learn about what you do. Obviously, they don't go to your website and download one of the books because they're private books, you know, right? But there must be stuff on your website and stuff as to what the yeah. service is and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, well, first of all, I have some excerpts on my website. So you, you okay. can see examples. Um, you know, I put up a few pages. Um, and you know, it's yourlifestory.com? No, it's lifestorymemoir. Lifestorymemoir. Okay. Yeah. Put so you can visit lifestorymemoir.com. You can reach me, Richard at lifestorymemoir.com. Okay. Uh, email me anytime. Um, okay. And on my website, there's a lot of information. Uh, it talks about the process, talks about different kinds of books that I do, because in addition to the, the life story 
you know, sort of comprehensive memoirs. I do. I also do these shorter tributes. I do these uh-huh. like celebration books. So okay. here, here's an example. This is um, a tribute to a woman who passed away. This was actually my Spanish teacher, Senora Fredman. Okay. Um, and it's shorter and it's, it's more design heavy. It has more pictures and it's more like vignettes. And it's a lower price point because I don't interview the person for as long. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a tribute and, and I can include things that people sent in. So some of what's in there are, you know, tributes that people said after she passed, you know, yeah. cards they sent in. Oh, that's nice. And, and memories, you know, and, right. and I interviewed, a, you know, a few people, they get short anecdotes. So, so that's another offering. And I do things like that around weddings. I love doing a love story. Yeah, that's nice. It's a nice keepsake. Now, what made you think of that idea? What made me think of it? I, I don't yeah. know. Um, it was just, I guess I, I wanted to come up with something that was a lower, lower price point and that I could do more quickly. Mm-hmm. And the idea of doing that, and, and through networking, I met some uh, you know people who run funeral homes. And and so the idea of of getting involved with funeral homes seemed, seemed like a good idea. Yeah. And then the tribute makes sense, right? Because yeah. they probably have passed away and it's nice yeah. things. It's better than just the address book you get where people signed in that they were there. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's warm and it's sort of customized to the person. Nice. You know, and I, and I love, I love that idea. Yeah. You know, those are, those are tough times, but it, you know, it makes people, yeah, I have a friend who just passed away. So I'm terribly, uh, and he, he was very much into rock and roll. So I'm yeah. doing a rock and roll style tribute. Nice. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think the whole thing is a, is a neat concept. Um, you know, you just, it, it not only your, it's your work and your, you know, writing and stuff, but you're doing really nice things for people. It's perpetuating. Cause that's always a problem, right? Your grandfather passed away, your great grandfather. I don't have that stuff for my grandparents. I, I have some stories. I remember talking to them. My dad remembers stuff, but he forgets over time. You know, and it just gets lost. Those are stories that are passed down by word, by word of mouth. Yeah, that's right. They get watered down. The de- they get you don't uh, remember. Yeah, they they get dull. The you know they they're sharp at first, then they they dull out and they pass on from generation to generation. They just get duller. Um, yeah, I mean, I what I do is just so fulfilling. I, I love it because it's it's so you know it goes to the heart. It, yeah, you know, it really goes to the heart of things, and it's really meaningful to people. And it's not like you know, just dealing with numbers. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, your tagline should be preserving the history of mankind one person at a time. Oh, that could, that could be your tagline, right? Because <laughs> that's kind of what you're doing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and and it's it's also amazing how like it, everything fits into a larger historical context. You know, so. True, right. And the time yeah. in which they lived and the things that were going History. on. And, yeah. 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 Some are some are like super historical, like Holocaust and you know, war, war stories, right. but, um, you know, things in the world are going on and, and they have a huge influence on, you know, how you view the world and the, th- and the choices that you make. For sure. Yeah. It must be interesting to take a step back from that when it's done and look at your life and see, you know, I don't know, probably cathartic, I would think. Yeah. 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 So I'm sure you've had very few unhappy customers. Most people are probably pretty thrilled with the process, right? I have a hundred percent satisfaction rate. That's a good rate. It's a good rate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the most important thing to me is, you know, and I, I'll go above and beyond. And, you know, when I interview someone, when we agree on six hours, it's always goes a little bit beyond of that. Course, and, right. you know, and, and we'll go back and forth. You know, there's a whole review period where they get to make sure everything seems right. And sometimes, you know, we have to make some edits. Uh, yeah, but well, you, you know, want I'm it often, to be good, both for I want your own personal good. reason and for them to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it represents them, you know, exactly. and it's. And, and the whole the whole thing is that it's it's their story and their words, you know, from their point of view. Right, right. Well, I think it's awesome. So it's lifestorymemoir.com. Yes. Richard Squire. Is it Richard Squires? Is that yes. your last name with an S? That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. I thank you for joining me two times. We had no <laughs> technical problems today, which is nice. Amazing. And um, yeah, let's definitely stay in touch and uh, see who we can get their life story written over time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, I, I'll just throw out that if anyone's listening to this podcast and they want to reach out to me and, and become a client, I can offer a discount. Okay. We can I'm happy, happy to do it. Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. My pleasure. Thank you. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.